0: One of the challenges I always give to the team up here who's spectacular is not to only let, sometimes it's great to let the instruments build and and to declare the greatness of God. But we also have this incredible instrument called our voice, and let's let our voices declare the greatness of God. So thanks for doing that with us. Um, Book of Acts, chapter 1. If you would go there with me right now. Acts, chapter 1 remarkable passage we're going to be walking through all of this Acts chapter 1 and as we do it I I want to I want to tell you or give you an illustration to help you to understand um, what I think this passage is wanting to communicate to us today because remember while I go when I was reading scripture I shared with you a question is what does God expect of me What does God expect of me as a person, as a pastor? What does God expect of me as a husband, as a father? What does He expect of me as a disciple? But also, what does He expect of us as a church? Because as the individual goes, so goes the church. Why? Because we know that the church is you, it's not the facility. You're the church. So what does God even really expect of us? And one of the reasons I think that today the the, str- the church is struggling so much, it, Chan gives a great illustration, and he talks about the football game in terms of the huddle. And and what the illustration is is he says, you know what what we're doing now on Sunday morning is so different than they, what they used to be doing. He says right now what everybody's doing is we're, we're acting like that I'm the quarterback and I'm because I'm the pastor and so we're going to call together. Everyone together, and we're going to huddle up, right? And um, I, I'm about to, Broderick. I'm sorry. I'm about to go down there. Um, so cameras. I'm sorry. I've got to do this. It's like me coming and I'm calling everybody together, and I'm like, okay, guys. This is what the Word of God says. God's got some great things in store for you. He's got some great things in store for the church. This is what he's telling us in terms uh, about his love and his grace and his mercy, about how we should forgive others, how we should empower others in the name of Jesus Christ and see them for who they can become in Christ, not who they are in themselves. We know all these things, and we're calling everybody together in the huddle, and we're like, okay, guys, you're going to block better than you've ever blocked before. Tighten, you split out hard. Re- receivers run like the wind. Everybody ready for the. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Yes. Okay. I'm okay, kind of three everybody yell break one two three break now imagine seeing that and then what you all do as soon as the, the huddle breaks and we're all together and we're all pumped up and we're all jazzed as soon as the huddle breaks what you end up doing is you take off and you run to the sideline and about 20 or 30 seconds later I say okay time for another play and so I, get a, I come back down, I get everybody together, I'm like, okay guys, this is what the play is, and we give instruction, and we talk about the Word of God and how wonderful it is, and we say, okay, get ready, we're going to go, we're going to take them on again, here we go. Okay, on the count of three, everybody yell, break, one, two, three. And then you run back to the sideline again. You see, t- I think that's what we've done in the church today. Is that we've called every. We had we like Sunday morning is this time where, as long as the quarterback is, is inspirational enough, and as long as he's really a good enough communicator, and as long as we're getting what we want, then all of a sudden we're coming together, we're huddling with each other, and then when they yell break, we go and we run to the sideline. And we watch to see what everybody else is doing. And God didn't design for it to be that way. He called for us to be able to come together and, yes, to receive his word, to be encouraged by it, but also to receive instruction from it, to live by that instruction, so that when we come together with encouragement and singing songs together with our voices, like in Christ alone, that when we yell, break, we go, let's go live it now. Let's go play the game. So there's a the question, what does God expect of me? And I think he expects us to to run out of these walls and to play the game. See, there is no separation. If you're a disciple of Jesus, there is no separation in who you are in Christ at any other point in your life. You are no different right now than you will be tomorrow at work. You're still a disciple of Christ with the same motives, the same purpose, the same instruction to glorify and to honor the name of Jesus no matter what, every single moment. And so when someone's calling the play because it's rooted and based in the word of God, we don't then run to the sideline. We then need to run and implement it and live the play out. But too many of us are running to the sideline. Now here's the, the dichotomy for us. is we, we really want to know what God is expecting of us. But I think it's when we're running the play that we really see the work of God the most. Right? The people who have played, we're well, using the illustration of football. The people who have played football. They understand football better, right? That's why typically what you find is a, an offensive line coach. You know what he did earlier in his life? He played offensive line. Almost every single time you find a quarterback coach to be someone who previously in their life, what did they do? Played quarterback. Quarterback. And too many of us are coming together, we're huddling, and we say break, and instead of running the play, we run to the sideline. Acts chapter one brings a shift in the hearts of the apostles because what they've discovered is something called Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one is for the apostles, it creates a shift for the church, it creates a shift for everybody. Why? Because people were being cut to the heart because of the presence of God, Holy Spirit, sitting on their life. Peter's very first sermon, it's the first Christian sermon. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. And right away, 3,000 people come to know the Lord. Right? Acts chapter 4, his second sermon. I don't want to ruin anything for about a month and a half from now, but like this is just getting me pumped up. Um, Because his second sermon, literally the people are coming and dragging him away to prison. And as they're dragging him away, he's basically calling for repentance. And as he's being drugged to prison, 2,000 more people come to know the Lord. Instead of going, oh wait, they're taking him to prison, they go, I want to know that God. That was the New Testament church and what was taking place. So Acts chapter 1 is this remarkable coming of Holy Spirit and all of a sudden, this young church is starting to exist. This young church that is so fragile and so green in so many wonderful and beautiful ways, it begins to walk in unity. It begins to walk in unity. And salvations, salvations became commonplace. I, people just going, I I, want, I surrender to Jesus. It was just commonplace. And remember, it was commonplace in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty. It was commonplace. People were just all, because they, they recognized that these people who had huddled together to worship God, when they said break, they weren't, they weren't running to the sideline to live their own life. They were, they were running from that huddle to implement and to live out what they were being called to right then. And as a result of that, salvations were commonplace. They were just, it was that frequent. It's interesting, my vision for um, the church today is so different than my initial calling. I remember when I first surrendered to the call of Christ uh, to, to go into ministry and to leave. Some stuff that I was doing in business and all of a sudden, because I was just young, I was right out of college and I started working for a company and I'm doing some stuff and I'm getting all excited about what that could mean for me in 10 years and 20 years and um, all of a sudden God just hit me with a two by four, right? And um, my, my vision for the church today though is so different than that. Um, I, I think initially I just wanted to preach the Bible and to see people respond to his truth. Like that's what I've come up with. Like that's how I would describe it. I just want to preach the Bible and, and see people respond to him. That was it. And now my goal, my heart is to see the people of God leverage every single thing they have in their life. Surrendering to him, being continually transformed. To literally be an extension of his kingdom. One of the words I always have used is I believe that God is calling us to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. When I first came here, I used an illustration with you. uh, Old, old movie, Dances with Wolves. Maybe you've seen it before. If not, it's actually a movie I think you should go see. Because here's this guy, in the movie it's Kevin Costner, he goes and he, he creates this new outpost out west of what the United States government should be. It was over 100 years ago, and so he's out there, new territory, and he's trying to, to be this strong outpost of the army, of the government, and to represent, and to be an extension of what he believed to be right. Well, I believe that's what the church should be. We should be an outpost, an extension of the kingdom. That's what we need to be. Your home should be an extension of the kingdom of God. Your business should be an extension of the kingdom of God. And so here's this guy by the name of Jesus Christ who has lived this amazing life. He's crucified on a cross. He's, he, he's risen. He, he raises on the third day. And... Um, as a result of all of this, it's his, right before his ascension, he starts calling out to these followers who they really need to be and what's going to be taking place. And the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. The Holy Spirit has fallen on them. Now, as I mentioned before, Acts chapter 1 is the ascension. And we don't speak about the ascension very often, do we? We'd much rather speak about the resurrection, even though the ascension is mentioned, I think, six times more than the resurrection. We start to look at this and we go, okay, wait a second. Not only is the ascension mentioned six times more, but just Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father of God is mentioned six times more than the resurrection. And we start to grasp, but wait, maybe we need to really process what the, re- the ascension means, but also maybe we need to begin processing what it means to have Holy Spirit fall on us. Why? Because we want to learn from the church. We want to learn from these people. And I I fully am aware that the Holy Spirit freaks us out a little bit. I'm fully aware that, you know, people have asked me all the time, well, you sure do speak about Holy Spirit a lot. I'm not used to that. Well, because Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've all been with us, even though given to us at different times. That's important for us to know. Because Holy Spirit is, is God saying, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. It's incredible to be able to think about it in that way. And so, in the very first few verses here, in, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, after appearing to the disciples, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and then he says, until the gift promised to them was given. In verse 4 and 5, he says, I'm going to be giving you this gift that I've been promising to you. That gift was Holy Spirit. And then in verses 6 through 8, the disciples are concerned with knowing when the kingdom would be restored. And that makes sense. They were nervous about him leaving. They didn't want to necessarily see him leave. But he kept appearing after his resurrection. He kept appearing over the course of 40 days, but less and less and less. As as though he was preparing them for him to leave completely. And he says to them in in verse 7 and 8, He says, it is not for you to know the time or season that your father has fixed by his own authority. I think he's saying that just to answer their question so that mentally they can move beyond it. There's so many people today that are transfixed on the return of Jesus Christ when they need to be transfixed on Jesus So I think he's addressing this just to get it out of the way and to move it aside, And then he says this, verse 8, and you need to know right now, if you want to know what the purpose, the goal, and the mission of the book of Acts is, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the goal, it's the mission, it's the vision, it's the, the purpose of all of it. And he says this, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you what does God expect of me I think God expects for me to live by his word to break from the huddle and to actually run the play to do what he asks of me in every part of my life and The only way that can happen is if I allow the Holy Spirit to come upon me. If I'm receptive to God working in my life. It's the Holy Spirit that tells your heart, you know what? You've got things that are going on in your life and you need to repent. It's called being receptive to the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit is crucial to knowing what God is expecting of you and what he was expecting of the church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reveals to the heart that you need a Savior, but also the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Dwells within you. And Jesus is now telling these friends who already have Holy Spirit on them that they must wait for the Spirit to come upon them even more. Why? Because I want to take you back really briefly to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, this is speaking... Um, right after he, he appears to the disciples for the very first time. Um, after his resurrection, he first appeared to, to them on the road to Emmaus, to, to some of the disciples, and then he continued to appear. And he's appearing to the disciples, and this is what he says in verse 47 and following. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins, he's speaking to all of his followers, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's giving them instructions to stay in the city until they're clothed with power on high. That's that's language for being clothed with power on high is until you are anointed by Holy Spirit, until Holy Spirit falls upon you. And so then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, verse, four, uh, verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now remember, this is after um, all of these events have been unfolding. He's been foretelling of everything that's going to happen. And now we see that they had already been clothed with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, we find some people who were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. I remember the very first time I had, I had married my wife Louisville, Kentucky. We had just had my in-laws first grandbaby and six months later after having their first grandbaby and they're all ecstatic and they're always showing up at the house and doing stuff and it was weird and I go hey guess what God's called us to move to Connecticut and uh, my in-laws began to weep not because I was leaving but because their grandbaby and their daughter was leaving we know this but what they ended up doing is they ended up throwing us a bit of a shindig Party um, with some friends and all before we left, and I remember when we drove away from Louisville. We we went to their house, um, and we were in this giant, the biggest U-Haul ever constructed. I think it was 348 feet long, and so the church didn't have any money to help me move or anything like that. So we're just doing all of ourselves, and so here we are, and we're just we're we're about to drive to Connecticut, right? And my in-laws are in the driveway weeping. And I walk up, I walk to my father-in-law, and I give him a hug, and he goes, yeah, yeah. And he walked over to, to his daughter. Now, they were grieving that we were leaving, right? Now, I want, I'm painting that picture for you because here, think about this. Jesus Christ says, I'm leaving you, but when you'll be anointed with Holy Spirit, you're going to return. And it says that they returned, and what were they? overjoyed it doesn't seem right does it don't you think they would be grieving and all this no uh, they weren't because god had come upon them still in holy spirit it drives me insane that we keep waiting for the return of jesus when right now we're living in the presence of god that's holy spirit we're not living without god right now god's already with you personally isn't that great news Like, that's what we've got to get. The church today, what does God expect of me? What does God expect of our church? God expects for us to live as though we actually live in the victory of knowing Christ and that He's still with us today. And He's the one who directs our paths. Absolutely astonishing. They returned to Jerusalem even though Christ had left them. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy because Holy Spirit had already come upon them. Right? Even Jesus was encouraged. It tells us, I'll give you a few examples of Holy Spirit coming upon you. Matthew 12, it tells us that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 27, and 28. I'm, just going, I'm going to call some things out in terms of how the Holy Spirit impacted Jesus. And then I think those same things we can be learning from and then asking ourselves, are those things happening in my own life? Jesus was one empowered by the Spirit, Matthew 12, 27, and 28. Also in, in Luke chapter 4, the very, very beginning of it, um, it tells us that Jesus Christ was also led by the Spirit. So he was empowered by the Spirit. It also says that he was led by the Spirit. In Luke 4, 18, it says that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. So he was empowered. He was led. He was anointed by the Spirit. Um, In John chapter 1, it doesn't use the exact language in Matthew chapter 3, but in John chapter 1, it says that he was baptized by the Spirit. All right, Holy Spirit is not this mysterious cloud floating around. Holy Spirit is God living with you. Holy Spirit is what you need in order to break from the huddle and to actually run the play and stop running to the sideline and living life on your own. And people have asked me, like, how do you know if you're living by the Spirit? I want to give you one um, kind of gauge, somewhat of a test to ask yourself in order to determine. And this isn't the only one, but I think it's one that can really benefit us. Scripture, Jesus Christ, is very clear in the Gospels that if we are living by the Holy Spirit, that we need to be living in contradiction, contradictory to the world. So the question would be, when was the last time I lived in contradiction to the world? Now that's, again, this is not the only way to answer that question, but I think it's an important way for us to answer the question. I think it's beneficial for us to ask that question and to say, when was the last time I lived in contradiction to the world? And some of us are and some of us are not. Some of us blend in so perfectly that nobody would know any difference. See, that's what we really have to make a decision about. When we're looking at this very thing. Let me turn this around. I think I want the paper instead. We have to ask ourselves right here. Because we're all running in together. Here we all are on a Sunday morning. We're coming to worship. Maybe it's a Wednesday night. Point electric, maybe it's your point group. And so many times what we're doing is we break and we all take off. And we run down here and we live right here. We live our own life. And what God is actually calling us to is he's calling us to break and to run and to run the play. Right? How much are you taking of the word of God, of scripture, of preaching? How much are you taking and then living it out? Or do you just go, oh, that was a good job. Like what is that for you? How how do you process that? Because he's saying to run the play. He's telling us that the church today, if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're actually going to be living in contradiction to the world at some level. That's why so many people were coming to know him. Is because the people who were coming together to worship him, they were running to, to, to do what he had asked, what he was requesting. And as a result, people could see the difference. They were drawn to the, the very thing you're scared of, which is looking different than the world, is the very thing that the world will be drawn to. Wow. The very thing that we get so hesitant about, so, so timid about, is the very thing that the world will be drawn to because they'll go, wow, they're off here running the plate. They don't look like... What are they doing? How can they be so overjoyed? How can they keep living this life of abandonment? Oh, wait a second. This is what was happening. I'm miserable in my own life living for myself. And they were seeing the people, the church, do this. And they were running as a result. These guys were then going, Wow, I want to be a part of this. And then they started to come and do this. That was the church. That was the church. Why? Because they knew that God's kingdom was not a place. God's kingdom is a people. God's kingdom is a people. It's a people who submit to him as king. So very quickly, here's just a few things that we find in this scripture about what does that disciple, what does that church look like when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit? All right? What does God expect of me? Kind of question. So, what does that look like? What does a person or a church look like that's been empowered by the Spirit? One, it's a church of proclamation. The New Testament church is forming, and the one thing you cannot deny is that everybody who was coming to know Jesus Christ was now proclaiming who Jesus Christ was. The people who are not proclaiming were the ones who didn't really know him. We see that time and time and time again. That's why he says, Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. To be his witness is to proclaim who he is. To be his witness is to proclaim who he is. So what does a disciple of church look like that has been empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's one that proclaims who Jesus is. I used to be on the board of the Metro New York Baptist Association, New York City. 300 and some odd churches, I think something like 60 different nationalities represented in that. It was awesome. What I loved about it is, um, and I'm saying this as I live in West Michigan, um, the board was about 15 of us, different pastors. I was one of three white pastors. I loved that. I thought it was so good. because what happened, and this was a matter of not color of skin, this was a matter of culture. What happened are the three white pastors, really two, because I wasn't a part of it. But they kept saying, well, maybe, maybe we get more people to come to church if we soften the Jesus message. Like if we just don't speak about it quite as much, and then we can get them to come in, and we just want to encourage them in who they are. Right, that's what all of a sudden, and then finally a guy stood up. And he, he just, like, excuse me. And he was thinking, in and in a, I could understand him, but not all that well. He goes, well, then why are we doing what we're doing? We are called to proclaim. And without proclamation, there's no purpose. All the other pastors are standing up. And he just starts yes, yes, yes except for two. The, the thing we're, we fear the most is what people will be drawn to the most, and it's the name of Jesus. So a disciple, a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit proclaims. How are you proclaiming Jesus in your own life? Also, it's one that does his work. Proclaims, does his work. Runs the play. They're just faithful, Right? They're obedient in every regard. But what we learn in Luke 24 is not only do they proclaim, not only do they just do His work, but they are overjoyed. Even when Jesus left them, Luke chapter 24, verse 52, even when Jesus had left them, they returned back overjoyed. Why? Because they recognized that God was still with them. God was still with them, for whatever reason God is telling me right? Like you need to hear that. You're not walking through life hoping to one day to encounter God when you die. You right now are encountering God through Holy Spirit. That's a different mentality. And the church is not teaching that very well at all. And so what we really discover in the book of Acts is we discover a people, we discover a church that was deeply devoted, deeply devoted, right there. And we discover a church that was intensely generous. And we're going to be speaking in every regard, in every way. These people were so generous because they recognized. Generosity, friends, generosity is easy when you recognize that nothing you have is yours. Generosity is only difficult for those who are claiming everything for themselves. Right? It's easy to give away something that's not yours, isn't it? If you don't believe that it's yours, you're like, take it. Right? Trust me, my kids, if I didn't know they were mine, I'd be like, take them. <laughs> I'm tempted right now. Right? That, that's what happens. I mean, you're going to discover a church. At different times throughout the history of the church, the leaders have had to say stop. Because the people were so generous because they recognized nothing that they had was theirs. Oh. Wow. And I'm not talking about just with resources. I'm talking about with everything, with their time and with their energy. Right? If, you, if you are retired, if you've been retired for less than 20 years, you, you should be more passionate for God than anybody else because you've known him longer if you came to know him as a child or a young adult. And you've got more time and energy not to use, and I'm gonna ruffle some feathers here, but I'm used to it. Our time doesn't belong to us, our time belongs to God. And you've got more time to give to growing the kingdom than anybody else. Your kids are out of the house, you're not having to work anymore. And instead of filling your day with what can I do to be as pleasurable as possible in the right here and now, what if we all gave ourselves to fulfill what God wants us to do that is eternal? Wow! Think about about seeing that church exist. I mean, they, they were... They were a a people, they were deeply devoted, they were intensely generous, and they were unashamedly bold. You're going to find that over and over again as well. At the very end of this passage, he says, he says, he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee. These two men are representing God, right? And they're speaking to these guys. He says, why do you stand here looking into heaven? Too many people today who are in the church are just standing and looking. And they're sad, and they're depressed, and like, Jesus just returned. I think we have to be careful about praying for Jesus' return when you recognize that God is already with you. God's never left you. And so these angels stand before them and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they return to Jerusalem. Why are you standing here? Why do you, why do you keep running into the huddle and then running to live your own life? Run to play. Why do you keep doing this over and over? It's time to go, he says. It's time to get busy. And I, and I think we know, and the praise team, I'm going to invite them to go ahead and come back out right now. But I, I think we can answer for ourselves We can answer for ourselves, if we are a church, if you are a person, what does God expect of you? If you are a person that is truly receptive to being anointed, clothed with the Holy Spirit. Which means that when you run out of this place, you're running to fulfill his instruction and his commandment and to be obedient to him. Not because you have to, that's what gets you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. that's That's the last thought I want to leave you with. People who hear this type of message, they go, well, see, that's the problem with church. It's all about how good you are. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's because they were so overwhelmed with who God is and still leaving his presence with them that they were so earnest in their desire to be obedient to him because they knew that that was best. And they were hungry for it. And because they recognized that nothing that they had was theirs, they were so deeply devoted. They were crazy generous. And they were bold in letting other people know. They were bold in letting other people know. Are you willing To allow the Holy Spirit to sit on you, to clothe you, to anoint you, to fill you. Are you willing to do that? Or are you about to run to your life again and just do what you want? God, I call out to you. I pray, God, for your presence. May we come to you. May we come to you. God, some of us are scared to death of actually running the play you've called us to. Give us your courage.